Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Michael, the following clinical manifestations are indicative of what? One, slow thinking. Two, face appears puffy. Three, hair is brittle or lacking luster. And four, keratemia or yellow-orange discoloration of the skin. Oh, it's easy. Uh, Presidency of the United States. Uh, no, um, it was actually hyper hypothyroidism. Oh. Awkward. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Today we are continuing on with our journey through the endocrine system and we're focusing on thyroid and parathyroid and looking at the hormones of those, how they're stimulated, what they do, how they work. Matt probably wants to talk a bit about embryological development and comparative anatomy, unfortunately. <laughs> now... Again, we always start the podcast with a little bit of housekeeping, and the housekeeping is simply, you can ask us questions or join us on social media. On Twitter, we're at GU Biosciences, or you can just look for Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. On Instagram, we're again at GU Biosciences, or just look for Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. You can join us on Facebook, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast, and you can send us an email, GUBiosciences at gmail.com. All right, Matty. Ready to roll. All right, so we're doing thyroid and parathyroid, am, am I correct? I think you are. Okay, so the thyroid. So are we just anatomically descending? Is that why we've chosen this area? Or? So what did we start off? What did we do the other week? We did uh, hypothalamus and pituitary. Yeah. So yeah, you're right, we're descending, we're going down. So we're now in the neck. Now in the neck. So is that where the thyroid and parathyroid is? 
In, indeed. Both. Generally should be, yes. Whereabouts in the neck? Oh, so the thyroid, um, which I think in its uh, term, what it actually means, uh, as Michael rolls his eyes, um, <laughs> means shield, I believe. Shield shape. Shield shape. So it's the shield of your neck. So it's located, probably to be accurate, in front of your windpipe, which is not anatomically correct at all. Trachea? Trachea. Um, Trachea is pretty long, so whereabouts? uh, About the second to fourth tracheal ring. Rings. Oh, so pretty high up. Yeah, so... So below your chin? (laughs) Definitely. I guess if you're putting your chin down in your chest or not. (laughs) But if you're in a standard anatomical position, yeah, it would be below that. So if you kind of go... How would I do Laryngeal prominence? Anywhere around there? That's the Adam's apple. Yeah. Okay, so that's the thyroid cartilage. Okay, okay, okay. Now, getting closer by name. So if you go down a touch, yeah, um, can I feel you'll it? Hit the next cartilage, which is the cricoid cartilage. Yeah, I can feel so, a little gap in there. Yeah, so that's where and that little scar I've got goes. from where you put that pen into my throat. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have swallowed that. Um, I was peanut. sleeping. No, I was sleeping. You thought I'd stop breathing. I just have sleep apnea. <laughs> you decided to stab a biro into my neck. Well, you're around to to survive, aren't you? Because I woke up. Okay. Let's go to hospital. All right, where is it? So it's, uh, it's so the below next, the cricoid. The, next, the, cri- the, cr- the cricoid, um, which is the cartilage below the thyroid, is at C six, so cervical six number, and then really just below that is where your thyroid begins. You just said the cricoid, which is below the thyroid, <laughs> but the, below <laughs> the thyroid cartilage. Okay. Yeah. All so right. The big cartilage, which your Adam's apple is. Yeah. That's your thyroid cartilage. Yeah. Go to the next one down is your cricoid cartilage, yep. which is really where your vocal cords are. Yeah, and then below that. And then, um, well, the isthmus, which is the kind of the joining between the two lobes of your thyroid, is um, basically the level of your thyroid. You said about C6. Around C6, yeah. So, okay. to be accurate, it's probably about the second to the fourth tracheal ring, and that would be important for any kind of surgeries to know that. Okay, so and tracheotomies and stuff. Now, so the thyroid's sitting on the front of your trachea. Yes. On the anterior. And but it hooks around, kind of uh, comes around. It's like it's hugging it. Yeah. And what about the parathyroid? Where does that sit? Well, the parathyroid's para means uh, around, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Near to or around. Yeah. So it's, in most cases, uh, 90% of people should have four parathyroid glands, I guess. I thought eight, right? Well, four. Predominantly. 90% of people will have four. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so I've um, took studies of the world population. I've found 90% of people will wow. have four. Wow, for this podcast. Yeah, so I've Look at the effort of, we go to, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, yeah, um, located generally behind the thyroid gland itself. But still anterior to the trachea. Oh, it's probably wrapped around the lateral aspect, maybe okay. even coming towards maybe even the esophagus. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Function. So, if we talk about just generally what the thyroid does as just a single statement, if someone said, oh, the thyroid, I know that the thyroid does, what would you say? Uh, well, if I was going to say something, which I did mention to you earlier and you said that's stupid, but I'm going to say it anyway. <sighs> yeah, okay. Um, the thyroid hormones, there's two hormones in the thyroid gland. Uh, is that right? Yeah. T3, T4? Yeah. Can you give the, the long terms for those T3, T4? So, T3 is triiodothyronine. Okay. And T4 is thyroxine, also known as tetraiodothyronine. Tetra, because tetra is four. 
<laughs> and three is try. <laughs> so say it again. Try. Try. Iodo. Thyronine. Thyronine. Okay, which That's suggests iodo would suggest it's got iodine in it, right? Yeah. Iodine so and tyrosine. Three, three iodine. And tyrosine. Tyrosine which and is iodine. Which Major components of, mm. ho- of uh, thyroid hormone. So without one or the other, no thyroid hormone. Brilliant. The only difference between the two major types, we'll go into more detail shortly, uh, between T3 and T4 is simply the number of iodine rings that are attached. So T3 has three iodines. Sorry, iodide, I should say. And T4 has four. Right. But let's go, we'll talk about that later. But generally, you said you were going to say something which I'm... Yeah, which I I read uh, in my um, comparative anatomy um, research and it said... The best way to think of what the thyroid hormones do is it's they are permissive hormones. Yeah, what's okay. that mean? That means they permit the target tissue where they act to be more sensitive to the other hormones that act there. Okay. And so if you think about it, so you might superficially say that thyroid glands, so the thyroid hormones act um, to increase heart rate, right? Yeah. But in fact, what it's actually doing is it just increases the receptor number of the beta adrenergic receptors. So basically what you can say is that thyroid hormones increase the level of gene transcription of certain... Could do. I mean, certain, and those genes may be receptor genes or they may be yeah. uh, translated into particular proteins that have a certain function. So, is that right? Yeah, and so as I said, it's permitting the target tissue to be more responsive to other hormones or other things. And... If you want to really ground that down, it would then influence metabolic rate. Okay, it would help in growth. It would help in reproduction. It would help in um, metamorphosis, so changing. So they're they're very strong metabolic. They're very strong metabolics. Yeah, and so they will respond. So if in animals and for us, these hormones are strongly linked to the environment. So to the light dark, and to the light dark. Light, dark. Oh yeah. So, night, day. Yeah. And also temperature. So, if you think about it, you don't want your metabolism to be firing in the middle of the night. No, you will start sweating. You'll want to go for a run. Your heart rate will go through the roof. Whereas, and you wouldn't sleep. You wouldn't sleep. You start to utilize stored glucose, all that stuff. Yeah, and um, you start to break down fats, which maybe for energy, but. So does transport cholesterol. From you don't want your heart rate beating a hundred beats per minute while you're trying to sleep, right? Um, no, I've had that before. And then also with the temperature. So think about seasons. You probably want your metabolic rate to be greater in say summer than in winter. Well, you're saying thyroid hormone seasonal. Well, it's release. So right. the environment dictates its release, which is mediated ultimately by the hypothalamus. Yeah, which could then be mediated by temperature which is Makes picked sense, up in the right? hypothalamus and circadian rhythm pineal gland which is also diencephalon so see that all fits in yeah makes sense yeah all right so if we start at the hypothalamus do you agree or do you want to start looking at more the no, let's so, keep so going we're happy with the, the general overview the general, general overview, overview is it's just a, a hormone gland that sits in front of your neck um, and it's really driving but behind the skin. <laughs> yeah, behind the skin. Um, but driving things like metabolic rate, yeah. your growth, your reproduction, and so forth. Yeah, okay. True. Now, where does it come from embryologically? You know you want to talk about it, so I thought I'd introduce it. 
All right. So, so when this... you start off as a little tube. <laughs> okay, so um, for all vertebrates, again, vertebrates are those that were in the vertebral column. Yeah. Um, we generally have the same embryological development. So we have these funny looking things early on, you know, you're talking weeks here. Um, we have, have these kind of gill-like structures um, that if you looked at the embryo's neck, it would look like they're developing gills. Right. Um, but they're probably more accurate to call them pharyngeal arches. Okay. And they kind of develop structures in your face and neck and so forth. Yeah. Now, in that production, you have um, your tongue being made and your tongue kind of gets its um, muscle, the muscle parts from the, the, the back of your neck, and that's why your hypoglossal nerve comes from the back of your neck and goes yeah. into your tongue. Yeah. So that's all your muscles moving your tongue. So remember the cranial nerve, hypoglossal nerve? Yeah. That what number mo- is that? That's 12. Okay. That moves your tongue. Yeah. Okay, so that's come from your occipital side and come into your tongue, which is weird, yeah. but it's pulled the muscles from there. What do you okay. mean uh, occipital side? You know your occipitals are the the bottom part of your skull. Yeah. You have like um, regions, so you know you've got myotomes that come from that region, so muscle groups that yeah. come from the bottom of your skull. It migrates around, and some lodge into your tongue. Wow, but they're not still attached, obviously. No, but they pull the nerve with it, and that's why the hypoglossal nerve comes ah. from the bottom of your medulla okay. slash your cervical region. Oh, cool. Okay, so. What's this got to do with thyroid? Yeah. <laughs> all right. And so then, but that's the muscles, right? Yeah. But you have all the taste buds and stuff on the top, right? Mm-hmm. And that comes from the mucosa, the endoderm of the embryo. And that comes from the pharyngeal arches. Now, remember... The gills. Yeah, the gills. And that's each pharyngeal arch. There's uh, technically in animals, we have six of them, but we lose the fifth in us, at least. So you have one, two, three, four, six... Okay. okay. Each one of those one have a nerve associated with it. So the the front part of the tongue, the mucosa of the tongue, remember the anterior two thirds of the tongue, mm-hmm. um, will get sensory input from the first arch, which is going to be a trigeminal nerve. Yeah. But the taste of it comes from the second arch, which is remember from the cranial nerve, facial nerve. Yeah. Okay. The third arch gives you the back of the tongue, which is glossopharyngeal, mm-hmm. glosso tongue, pharyngeal pharynx. Yeah. Okay. But the thyroid kind of pops out of the demarcation point between the anterior two thirds and the posterior one third so of the tongue. Of the tongue, and so there's a there's a, a, a sulcus they call the terminal sulcus, which is at what cu- stage embryologically? Oh. So you're saying that there's a you're seven, saying, six, seventh week. So you're saying that there is a little space gap area between the anterior uh, two-thirds and the posterior third of the tongue where the thyroid actually came from. That's right. And then those two, one, two-thirds and third of the tongue just snap together. Yeah, you can still see it if you you were to look at anatomy of a tongue. Really? Yeah, different, there's different types of taste buds. There's a lot bigger ones in the back. Big fat ones at the back, yeah. Yeah, and then little smaller ones at the front. But there's a line, a V-line, which they call the terminal sulcus. Yep. That's the demarcation point. And that's where the thyroid came from. And But right in the middle mm. of like like the V, like the letter V, yeah. right at the apex of that V, there's a hole. Still for us. Yeah. I don't think it's a hole anymore, but they call it a framen, the framen cecum. Yep. Okay. That is where the thyroid came from. Wow. And so it popped down your throat. It went... In front of the bone 
in your neck? What's the bone in, in the front of your neck that doesn't articulate within any other bone? Hyoid? Yeah. Went in front of that, kind of looped back around, yeah. kept on going down, and then finally rested just below the... What made it rest there? I don't know. Is that a difficult question to ask? Obviously, we would be I'd, I'd have, I'd varying have gene it. expression and chemical mediators and so forth, but okay. Do, do you so find, pr- are there other pr- people, pr- wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, are there other people, are there individuals in which the thyroid isn't located there? Yes. Where's it located? Uh, well, before we go to humans, so other animals will, will have it in different spots. Yeah. So, it will not only be consolidated in like a, a bilobe gland like we've got. What do you mean bilobed? Two lobes, kind of a right and left, which may have, you might be able to say it's got an upper and lower pole, and then it's joined in the middle with an isthmus, which is kind of a narrowing. Okay, thyroids, um, two lobes, joined in the middle by an isthmus, which is just a connection. Yeah, that's okay. right. Um, Alright, and other, so in other animals? Other, other, other animals it can be dispersed in other parts of the neck. Like? Okay. Any examples? Uh, maybe in amongst the carotid artery, the jugular vein. Do you know what animals? No, I'll be guessing. What about lower order animals? Do you have any idea? What about fish? Well, all my... Like to, every time we talk about animals, we talk about fish and birds. Well, well, Do you have anything about fish and birds? You always say something about fish and birds. Well, the only reason I say that because fish are the bottom of the vertebrates. So, that they're the starting point of the vertebrates. So, when we trace That's back... very nice, man. <laughs> when we trace back a, a evolution, you want to kind of see where did it all begin and where have we changed until we are humans. So, mm. where does the the change point. Okay. And so, you want to see, well, fish go into, say, salamander, which is kind of like walking fish. Mm-hmm. But then before we the go axolotl. to... But then we, before we go into amphibians, you might see slight alterations. Okay. And see, that gives you a, a guess of, as we've moved to land, there might be some reason for it happening. And so, I guess that's where biological evolutionists will look at. So... Where they first came in, where they first... So, so fish have a thyroid. Uh, that would that have certain the birds glandular, the yeah. They, oh, yeah, yeah, birds would, and same with the parathyroids. But we can get to that. All right. So where were, what was your question? Why did it stop there? Yeah. Um, I, I can't answer it. Why it stopped that particular spot? Fair enough. Okay, so that's where it, so it's it's come from one of those pharyngeal arches. It originated between the tongue, which is weird, between the front part and the back part of the tongue. Yep. That's now and fused so that, together. So, so that. Where it came from is what we call the thyroglossal duct. So, wait a second. How come the tongue's not a gland, but the thyroid is? If it, it Did it originate from the same tissue? I guess it's endodermal. Um, but it would be the same in your pharynx. So, going back to the pharyngeal arches where you have those bulges, you've got what we call clefts on the outside and pouches on the inside. Um, the clefts kind of all close up because we don't have gills anymore. Okay, for fish they stay open mm. and they're important for feeding and respiration. But for us they close up and that's just your skin of your neck now. Right? Wow. The only cleft that still remains is your ear canal. Really? That's the only one that's left. And that's part of the pharyngeal prominences. That's the part of the first pharyngeal cleft of the first gill, I guess oh. you could say. So your ear canal going to your eardrum, that connection of your eardrum is the the connection between the pouch and the cleft. So would you say it's synonymous with a with a fish's gill? Probably. Cool. And so, but then for us, it or has, analogous, I should. It say. has no function in obviously respiration. 
Mm. But it becomes a... It would have been, I'm sure, in early, like, frogs and stuff, um, a vibration sensor um, in the water or something, but then moved to us to hear it. Which is still a vibration Which sensor. Which is still a vibration sensor. All right, all right. Let's move on to cool, thyroid. That's, that's very cool. I think it's interesting. Hopefully, people haven't turned <laughs> off and, and thought, what is this bullshit that's going on? Okay, so... We are now... No, wait. What we There was some point I was going to Comparative. Were you going to do any comparative anatomy? Or yeah, not there yet? Was something about the, well, the thyroglossal... Oh, no. What you're saying is um, the tongue isn't real. It's a sense organ. doesn't really have anything to do with endocrine. Yeah. Um, but when you go to the pouches, each one of those pouches, what forms in the pouches are kind of interesting structures. So, you can get... What are these pouches? They're just between the gills. So, if you Back get, in the day. Yeah, if, Seven think, if you think about each pharyngeal arch mm. as like a horseshoe on top of each other, okay, um, then they're connected. Yeah, and where that little connection between horseshoes are—that's a pouch. It's a pouch. Okay, from the inside. So the tongue came from one of those pouches. Uh the the tongue. No, the tongue came out of the tongue. Sorry, <laughs> what, what was your question? <laughs> no, the thyroid oh came out of the tongue. So the, the first pouch is your eardrum, essentially. Yeah, and the eustachian tube which is that tube that helps you equalize your, your pressure in your yeah. middle ear. Okay. Next one down is your pharyngeal tonsils. Yeah. So, you know those things that become swollen when you get sick? Mm-hmm. That's it. Next one down, parathyroid. Okay. Next one down, parathyroid. Both are parathyroid. Yeah. And then the last one down is um, the, which we'll get to, is the parafollicular cells, which is going to be uh, actually take it into your thyroid to help you. All right, this is getting confusing. So let's let's slow down with this and let's just go back Let to me just say one last clinical point and then we can move past this. Because you opened this floodgate. <laughs> yeah, well, I could just shut you up. <laughs> you could just shut your mouth and then we can move on. So when it came from the tongue and went all the way down to your neck, it was a duct. It was the thyroglossal duct. Okay. Thyroglossal duct. Which makes sense. Thyroglossus tongue. But what do you mean okay. a duct? It's just this long, big, long tube. Yeah, okay. okay. That the thyroid was a tube. It came out, it descended through the tube and then just stopped there and the tube disappeared. What? Yeah. yeah Embryology is crazy. But this is the clinical importance. So if you have patients that have lumps in the midline of their neck, mm. okay, that can be um, thyroid glands that have kind of stopped and haven't descended all the way down. Throughout our evolution, uh, throughout our embryological development. Right. And so, if you have patients present with lumps in their neck... They're just nodules. Nodules. Um, the doctor would want to see, well, is it a cancer mm. or like a tumour? Or is it just a thyroid that has stopped on the way down? Is it hasn't still endocrine tissue? Does it still work? Does it still produce... Probably, probably would, I'd imagine. And that's why it's important if the doctor or surgeon wanted to remove the thyroid because it became cancerous, mm. that you made sure you got rid of all the thyroid gland and there wasn't any accessory parts. Okay. So, why I'm saying this? Because if you have um, these little nodular things in your neck, it's always going to be in the midline to check whether they are the thyroid um, or tubics. All you do is move the thing where it originated from. What do you mean? Stick the tongue out. How? What do you you mean? You get the patient to stick the tongue out. Yeah, why? What would that do? Well, because it's connected to the thyroid, it would the thing would is it move still up. connected to the thyroid? Because yeah, it's in this case of the patient. Okay. So if there's a lump, let's say yeah. near a hyoid bone, yeah, and you, you wanted to make sure it wasn't out? cancer, you'd get the patient to kind of 
open the mouth, stick the tongue out, and, and if, if the it, thing moved up, yeah. then you know it's a ectopic part of the thyroid that hasn't descended all the way down. Wow. Hmm. It only took 20 minutes to find an interesting point. <laughs> that's good. No, that is interesting. Okay. So that's the embryology. Um, yeah, I don't think I'll um, go into any more with that. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the main... It's it kind of starts functioning at the third month gestation. Okay, so and we know that thyroid and thyroid function is important throughout embryological development. It's very important important when it comes to growth and development. And yeah. so, so since you asked, I didn't remember asking a question. <laughs> it's function very briefly if we're going to break them down before we go into the physiology. Um, so for animals, because you love to know what the birds and the mammals are doing. Well, do I? <laughs> They're what we call endotherms, which mean they regulate the temperature, unlike the reptiles and fish that are, you know, colloquially called cold-blooded. Yeah. So, if they want to get we're warm... We're endotherms. We're endotherms. So we regulate our own body temperature by through our mitochondria. Yes, right. And, and so other animals cannot do that Yeah, so if you want to be a lizard, well. you just go, oh, I'm just going to go outside for a while today Bathe and heat sun. up and then... It's getting too hot. I'm going to leg back it into the shade. That's why they're so lethargic when it's cold. Exactly. And because their metabolism And that down. also works with animals um, that are nocturnal versus day. So, what's this got to do with the yeah, thyroid? Okay. Um, so, endotherms... Stop changing topic. Endotherms, birds, mammals. Um, basically, what they do is the thyroid hormones, such as T3, T4, goes to the tissues, increases the oxygen uptake, and by doing that, it makes ATP more... Abundant, um, like a productive process. Yeah, and as a byproduct of that, what happens? More energy, baby. Yeah. Okay, cool. Which is actually Michael said something interesting, which is again surprising, but he said something interesting earlier that it's when your muscles do work, it's not actually them contracting and rubbing and all that stuff that makes the heat. It's just the mitochondria. It's the mitochondria. Mitochondria produces the, the, so that, the heat as a byproduct of energy production. So that's pretty cool. It's not when you contract, relax, contract, relax that muscle that it's because it's friction and rubbing against each other. Because if you have a look at it, it's just acting a mice and heads, grabbing a hold and pulling across. It's it's there's no direct friction. Tr- I mean, I'm sure there is a very very minor amount, but the heat that comes heats your body up, heats your blood up, is coming from the mitochondria. Through ATP production. So in your in your cells. And in the your cells, cells and the cells that have the most mitochondria would be the best at heat production. Such as muscle cells. And so then, and then working the heat with dissipates this, with the blood Working with the endotherms, um, the more T three, T four, the better oxygen uptake and the more mitochondrial work and the hotter you'll get. And that's why that there's that I was telling you about the uh, mitochondrial winter hypothesis. Mm. I think that's what it's called. Um, and the mitochondrial winter hypothesis basically states that now I don't recommend this. A couple of people have spoken about it before. The meta- it's called the metabolic winter, but it's basically got to do with the mitochondria. That since your mitochondria regulates heat, if you're so in just it- one second, mitochondria are organelles in your cell that are all about producing ATP, right? Correct. Okay, so go on. So basically, considering the fact that if your mitochondria wants the you need to maintain 37 degree internal body temperature uh, and your mitochondria is what regulates temperature through energy production that if you're too cold your muscles start to shiver. Mm-hmm. Why? Because when you shiver you need more ATP you kick start your mitochondria and produces heat. 
So if you were to go outside in the cold, not wearing many clothes, forcing your body to shiver, forcing your body to produce heat, forcing your body to use up energy, use up fats to make this heat, well, then you lose weight. And that's the metabolic winter hypothesis. Now, I wouldn't recommend doing anything like that because uh, the risk is quite high of uh, getting hypothermia, Hmm. getting unwell. But that's basically a very simplistic look at the premise of that. Yeah, so going back to that, so essentially the thyroid hormones are just making your cells or the cells within most mitochondria more efficient to produce more ATP and therefore as a byproduct more heat and that would keep you warmer. All right, let's stop getting away from the thyroid. Well, it's the thyroid. Oh, no. Uh, other things it will do is help just general body growth, okay? Now, that's in both embryological but also in child development. Yep. And that goes with not only body but um, brain development. And so, if you were to have hypothyroidism um, as a child, what is the term for that? For hypothyroidism as a child? Yeah. Uh, cretinism, I believe, or yeah. cretinism. And so that was essentially you'd have stunted growth because the thyroid aren't permissively allowing the other hormones to make you get bigger. Yeah. But it also stops your brain um, developing and then you would get mental retardation. Okay. And so that was called, what was it called again? Cretinism. Cretinism. Yeah. All right. But as an adult, so you've already, let's say, developed, your nervous system has developed. Um, if you were to get hypothyroidism then, you're more likely just to get a degree of lethargy, yeah. no energy, um, and your s- mental abilities might start to slow down. Okay. okay. Gotcha. And, and body weight fluctuations. Yes. So because you're holding body weight. And then hyper... Because you're slowing hyper, down your metabolic activity. Too much thyroid. Yeah. goes the other way. So you're very nervous, so kind of hyperactive in a way. Yeah. Your eyes commonly will bulge out. Why? Uh, well, they, I think there's more fat behind it that pushes out. Yeah. Um, because it alters fat distribution. I'm not exactly sure how that works with the eye, though, but yeah. it's common to get the bulgy eyes, which yep. has a name, exothalmic. <laughs> Is it? Thalmus or something? No, not thalmus. Thosis? Something like that. Um, yeah, and w- a great deal of weight loss. Yeah. We'll, we'll and, talk to... Increased sweating. Other things it will do is essentially change um, body, body size and structure. So that's obviously in different animals like going from... Um, larvae into frogs or something like that mm-hmm. and then finally um, molting so is that the right term? Molting, molting. like molting. when you lose your fur in, in exactly. summer so that has a big like role in animals shepherd. so, so uh, it has a big role thyroid hormones mm. on your integument which is your skin my what? integument integument <laughs> my integument integument yeah integument <laughs> <laughs> My integument. So um, it has a strong effect on your skin. Yeah. And so again, if you think about hypo hypo, people's skin ch- will have drastic changes. Either they're becoming very dried and um, thin or oily. Okay. And so for animals, it's going to cause their hair to either fall out, fall out or grow. Or it's hyper. S- well, the thyroid hormones. Yeah. Or it causes the person, the, not the person, let's say the animal to shed its skin like snakes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so thyroid hormone is important for snakes for shedding. Yeah, or birds, feathers, or um, fur in your dog. Okay. Yeah, right. They get put the big coat on in winter, they drop it off in summer. True. And that's what we said. Temperature, environment, 
Nice. All right, now, when we... Okay, so if we just go back to some more basics with the thyroid gland. All right. Okay. Now, you said thyroid gland creates two hormones. In actual fact, it creates three hormones. Does it? Yeah. T3, T4, calcitonin. Yeah, but as I said... <clears throat> oh, here we go. Getting gruff. Getting angry. That's actually a side effect of, I think, hypothyroidism is you get a... Gruff voice. Yeah. Gravelly. Gravelly voice. Why? I think there's deposits on your vocal cords. Mm. Mm. What type of deposits? Like fatty deposits? No, I think it's more like uh, protein, glycoprotein deposits. Oh, okay. Um, so the, the parathyroid, sorry, not parathyroid, the fl- parafollicular cells come from one of those pouches and come into the thyroid. We haven't spoken about parafollicular cells. I'm just being yet. technical here. Well, I'm being technical because the thyroid has a number of different cell types. Okay. Of all the cell types within the thyroid, three hormones are created predominantly. T3, T4, and calcitonin. Now, we said that T3 and T4 play a big role in metabolism, right? Permissiveness. Yeah, permissiveness. And calcitonin plays around with calcium homeostasis. And we'll talk about that in a sec, but not yet. What we need to talk about is how we produce these hormones because then we can talk about the cellular anatomy. Wonderful. Right? Okay, so... So let's go into the thyroid now. Let's go into the thyroid. Taking a microscope, looking into the thyroid, there's a, a couple of predominant cell types. The main cell type are the follicular cells. Yeah, and since they're the main ones, you call them the principal cells. Would you? Yeah. I'll just say follicular <laughs> cells. Now, these follicular cells, this is how I want you to picture it. I want you to picture a spheroid, like a ball. And this ball is surrounded by a single cuboidal layer of cells... They are the follicular cells. Mm. Inside that ball is just a bunch of fluid. This fluid is what we call colloid. Okay? So that's important. Now, the follicular cells is... They're the cells that actually make the thyroid hormone. Mm. But with the help of some substances that are within the colloid. For example, there's, a, there's something within that colloid called thyroglobulin. Okay. okay? Which is quite a large glycoprotein. And thyroglobulin has tyrosine associated with it okay now can i add an interesting point as long as it's interesting uh the thyroid or what you're describing is the only endocrine organ or gland in the body that produces hormones and then stores it extracellularly so all the other hormones oh because it stores it it in the colloid that's right which is outside the the cell gotcha gotcha all right, and well, that's keep, interesting. Keep going. Actually stores it for about two weeks too. Now, so basically, am I going to talk about how we produce thyroid hormone? I think just briefly because it's not a histology slash physiology right. in-depth podcast, but just give them the gist. In your daily diet, diet, you take in something called iodine, okay? Now, iodine is an atom on the periodic table. Iodine can come from certain vegetables. Soy proteins, uh, sorry, soy vegetables, uh, dairy, eggs, seaweed, which mm. is interesting because uh, in the 1800s, enlargement of the thyroid, which we call a goiter, was actually treated with, with iodine-rich seaweed. They didn't know why or how. But anyway, mm. so this is, these are some food products that have 
that are iodine rich. Now, so if it's iodine. Iodine. Right. Take it in as iodine. Now, in your body, this iodine is turned into iodide, which is the ionic version of iodine. So it just means it gets a charge? Or, or loses a charge. Okay. And so, in this case, iodide is... But it's still got a charge, ...is right? negative. Yeah, true. So, it's neg- negatively charged, we Thank should you. say. Thank you. Yeah, my bad. All right. Now, this iodide now... So, it's in the blood. Okay. So, let's just say we take it in our diet, iodine. It's easily absorbed through the gastrointestinal wall in the blood and, mm-hmm. and turned into iodide. Yep. All right. Now, now, it's in the blood. Yep. Now, it's in the blood and it moves from the blood to other parts of the extracellular fluid and then gets to the thyroid gland. Yep. And will be transported from... So, remember I said picture that spherical ball with follicular cells, single layer of follicular cells lying yep. on the outside of the ball. Yep. So... The outside wall of those cells, which we call what? The basal side, right? All right. Meaning the, ba- the bottom. The base. The base. base. Mm-hmm. That's going to pull in. So, it's on the blood vessel side. Yep. It's going to pull in iodide. It actually does it through a symporter mechanism, pulling in sodium as well, but let's ignore that. Pulls in iodide into the follicular cells. All right. And once it's in the follicular cells, you take thyroglobulin from the colloid, bring it into the follicular cell as well and bind them together. Okay. Now, if you bind iodide with thyroglobulin... So, thyroglobulin is just a protein... Glycoprotein. Yeah, like necklace of just amino acids. That's right. And yep. But there's an abundance of a type of amino acid called tyrosine. Tyrosine, correct. Okay. Now, if you bind this iodide with thyroglobulin in the follicular cells, if you bind it so there's only one iodide, that's called monoiodotyrosine. Okay, M-I-T. Let's, let's, let's shorten it. Two? MIT. 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 If you bind two iodide molecules yeah. to thyroglobulin, then you get diiodotyrosine. Or what I call Michael. DIT. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you've got MIT and DIT now, right? Okay, and MIT and DIT are simply iodides combined with thyroglobulin. Now, you can combine MITs and DITs together. Now, obviously, a MIT is one, a DIT has one iodide, mm-hmm. a dit has two. Mm-hmm. If you combine a mit with a dit, you get three iodide molecules, right? A crit? No, it's called tri. Okay. So this is triiodothyronine. This is the T3 hormone. T3. Right? Does that make sense? sense? Yeah. Now, if you combine two diiodotyrosines. So two dits. Two dits. You got four iodide molecules. Yeah. And this is now called thyroxine, which is T4. Right. Makes sense. Now, once this has happened, the thyroglobulin gets snapped off and jumps back into the colloid. Oh, okay. Okay. So the, the non-iodine part jumps back into the um, middle part. Yep. That's right. So, the thyroglobulin snaps off, and now you've got either triiodothyronine, which is T3, or thyroxine, which is T4, in the follicular cells, and they will jump out of the follicular cells into the bloodstream, but they will be bound to carrier proteins. Yeah. Not quite all, but mostly... Like, like 99.8% yeah. or something are bound to carry proteins. And they're like albumin and so forth, things yeah. like that. Pre-albumin and whatever it may be. And then they're carried around the body. Now, of T4 and T3, which one's produced, which, which one's in the highest abundance? T4. T4. Do you know what percentage difference? I'll be guessing. I'd probably guess it's going to be in 90%. So basically, well. every single day, you'll release... 100, around about 100 micrograms of T4 into your bloodstream. 
and every day you release around about five micrograms of T3 into the bloodstream. So it's around about 95%, 95 to 98%, something like that, is going to be T4. Now, T3 is the most active form. It's okay. actually eight, at eightfold, um, has an eightfold, what would you say, uh, a th- a greater affinity to binding to receptors and having activity than T4. And do all the permissive things. <laughs> do it, yes. Increasing transcription and so forth. Right. All right. So, yeah. what you'll find is that of T4 and T3 flowing through the bloodstream, once it gets to particular peripheral tissues, liver, kidneys, other tissues, the majority of the T4 is going to be turned to T3. Right. So, the actual effects of the hormones, you could look at certain things like heart. It yeah. has an effect on, as I said, making more receptors for the adrenaline and the affinity for adrenaline or just a response to adrenaline, so that gives the heart a better propensity to go quicker. Yep. Okay. It goes to the lungs and helps in the metabolic, you know, responses, ventilation responses to hypoxia and hypercapnia, so low um, low oxygen and high CO2 makes the lungs more efficient to that, so be better with ventilation. Um, goes to your fat cells. What do you think it would want to do? Uh, increase lipolysis. Yeah, so break down fat, yep. release it into blood, and at the same time, it would go to your liver to utilize that fat to make it into energy. It also tells increases the transcription, so the gene expression turns get, tells the DNA of cells within the liver right to create more low density lipoproteins LDLs. Okay. Now what LDLs do is they take cholesterol from the bloodstream. Yeah. And give them to the cells to take in. Mm. So if you take cholesterol from the bloodstream into a cell, now the cell has a substrate that it can use to make hormones. So steroids okay. allows us to grow, get bigger, stronger, faster. And so this is important because if your thyroid hormones are out of whack, mm. um, so you, let's say you have too much of it, that's why you know you're going to have certain cardiovascular like blood pressure and fast heart tachycardia. Yeah. Um, that's why you're going to lose weight. Okay. You have certain changes in your muscle um, and also your liver. And so, as we said with the lipoproteins, which is part of your... Well, LDLs is actually your bad cholesterol. Is it? If, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Compared to HDLs. Mm. So, LDLs is low-density lipoprotein, which mm. is a protein that carries fat at a low density. Mm. And so, as you said... As it's transporting fats to the cells, it kind of drops it along the way, yeah. and it gets stuck in the blood vessels, yeah. and causes you know atherosclerosis. And yes, so forth. but while the liver become more efficient on it, a person say with hyper, so too much thyroid, their blood cholesterol levels will actually go down because it's a, delivering more to the cells. Yeah. It just keeps hypo. It's the opposite way around. Yeah, and then you know it's just going to cause because you're driving your internal fire. It's going to cause the person to be hotter, so they're going to become heat intolerant. And because you're burning lots of energy, you need more fuel for the energy, so you break down fat, you lose your weight, but you also break down your proteins, and that's probably why they get um, their hair becomes brittle yeah. and so forth. And yeah. yeah, that's where it becomes systematic effects. Yes. Yeah. So that's now kind of the actions, the actions in the in the body. Uh, before we move on, T4 has a longer half-life in the blood of about a week, and T3 
lasts like eight to 12 hours because it just has such a high affinity to bind and has its activity. Okay. I just thought that was an interesting point to make. Now, if we look at disease states, yeah, I think we just, just quickly, like I just think, okay, first thing is this, a goiter. We've all heard the toim. We've all heard the toim goiter, right? right. Now, a, do you know what a goiter is? A lump. Where is it? Neck. Neck, okay. Probably don't see as much of it nowadays, but I remember when I was younger, I went to a restaurant and I saw a bloke sitting at a table and he had this massive protrusion coming out of his neck. And I said to my mum and my dad, what is that? And they said, oh, it's a goiter, don't look at it. And I went, oh, okay. Didn't know what a goiter was for a couple of years after that until, well, many years after that, until I realized that a goiter was basically due to hypothyroidism. Okay, and specifically due to a lack of iodine in the diet. Now, that's not the only cause. Cause I'm not talking properly now because of the term goiter. That's not the only cause of a goiter. It can happen because of immune issues and other other particular issues. But predominantly, so this is just an enlargement, right? Of the it's tissue. just an enlargement of the thyroid tissue. Yeah. So it's now, kind of like a hypertrophic state. It is. So if you think, if, but I said it was hypothyroidism. So it sort of doesn't, from the outset, if it w- doesn't make sense to go, wait a minute, if it's not enough thyroid hormone, why does it get bigger, right? And so basically... Can, I, can we just pause for one second? Because I think Every you, podcast we I know, I know for but, a second. But there's an important point that we missed. What? And that's, like, the way you explain the physiology of the way that T3, T4 are made mm. in the follicular cell or the principal cells was perfect. I know. However, the one thing you missed was the influence of TSH on the cell. Oh, we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you just wanted to say, to preface it, that it just speeds up the production of T3, T4. And so for those TSH of you listening going, what the hell's TSH? Because Maddie didn't define it. Well, we did it last week. It's, don't assume that everyone listens to every episode. <laughs> Thyroid stimulating hormone coming from the pituitary gland. But l- let yeah. me get to that in a sec. Okay. Let me continue. Go back with, to you. Because I know I'm, how you like to stop me midpoint I'm, to go to another point. I've unpaused it. Go back to what you're Thank saying. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> so, a goiter, protrusion in the neck due to enlargement of the tissue. It sort of doesn't make any sense from the outset that you've got an enlargement of a tissue due to hypothyroidism. So, underactive thyroid. What happens is this. If an individual does not have enough iodine in their diet, and this happens in some parts of America, there's like the iodine or goiter belt in the States where the soil does not actually have enough iodine, which means the plants don't have enough Did iodine. Did Australia also And the that? meat, no, Australia's fine. So, Never had it? I don't think so, as far as I'm aware. And the I think meat, India does as well. Yeah, it makes sense. So, <laughs> so <laughs> just trying, I just want you to shut up. So basically, not enough iodine, which means that not enough iodide, not enough iodide going to the uh, thyroid. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, this is where I was going to start talking about the hypothalamus and pituitary, when you don't have enough iodide coming in yep. to the thyroid, yep. you're not going to make enough thyroid hormone. T3, T4. T3, T4. That then stimulates the hypothalamus to release a hormone called thyrotropin-releasing hormone. Also known as TRH. And TRH from the hypothalamus travels down that pituitary stalk, the portal system, Mm -hmm. from the hypothalamus to the anterior pituitary gland and stimulates the anterior pituitary gland to release 
thyroid stimulating hormone tsh tsh thyroid stimulating hormone then travels down to the thyroid and says hey what's going on so start making more thyroid hormone or and it so has a trophic effect growth has a, effect. a growth effect now mm. in this case what it does is it t- makes more follicular cells and also makes more thyroglobulin because right. what are the rate limiting steps to making thyroid hormone iodide and thyroglobulin so it can only influence one of those two things the thyroglobulin so it makes more and more and more. Where's thyroglobulin made? In that colloid, in that fluid sitting in the middle of those spherical um, units, which are surrounded by the follicular cells. Yep. So the colloid gets bigger and bigger and bigger, making more and more thyroglobulin in the hopes of making more and more thyroid hormone. But there's no iodine. So you get these big enlarged thyroid glands, right? or an enlarged thyroid gland, which is because of the enlarged colloid, which is the enlarged follicular cells and so forth, mm. without actually any thyroid hormone being made. And that is a goiter. So how do you, how do you fix a goiter? Iodine. So if, if that was the deficiency. If that was the deficiency. So what did they do in these areas? They iodized the salt because they knew everyone eats salt. So they took the table salt, they iodized it, so that every single human being gets enough iodine in their diet. Or they eat seaweed. Or they eat uh, iodine-rich seaweed, which they don't often do now. But that's why you, if you've ever sat there at the dinner table and you've seen the table salt and it says iodized table salt and you've ever asked the question why, it's so you don't get a goiter. That's why. What about Himalayan rock salt? (laughs) Oh, do not get me started. Hey, if you are out there having Himalayan rock salt because you're like, wow, this pink salt is far healthier for me than any other salt... Have a look at the the radiometric analysis of the Himalayan rock salt. You'll find there's a number of different radioactive compounds in Himalayan rock salt. There's there's radioactive... It's radioactive. That's great. Great news. It's not great news. Stop having Himalayan rock salt. Do you want to glow in the dark? (laughs) Talking about radioactive, I'm pretty sure... I could be wrong with this, but I'm pretty sure um, because I died... Iodine, iodide, or iodine, whatever, it's up to gets, you. <laughs> becomes radioactive easily, therefore your body will absorb it, and the, the, the place where in your body you're most likely to store iodine is your thyroid. Um, my understanding, I don't really... It's not because it becomes radioactive easily, it, you can radioactively label it easily. No, but like with, say, uh, Chernobyl or something where there's a fallout, Yeah, that's one of the ways you take up radioactive materials through iodine that's been... Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so, the suggestion, I, I can't really substantiate this, but I've heard scientists talk about it, that then if they take vast amounts of potassium iodide, mm. then you kind of are less likely to become radioactive. Really? That makes sense. Because but then you'll be less likely to develop superpowers. True. <laughs> and if you want superpowers, then you could just eat Himalayan rock salt. Or get bitten by a radioactive spider. Okay, we're going off track. <laughs> so there is, I guess what Michael was trying to say, there was feedback loops between the thyroid itself, which is the primary organ, and then going back to the pituitary gland, which you could probably say is the secondary, and the hypothalamus, which is the tertiary. And so... As the outproducts of the thyroid is T3, T4, T3, T4 directly has effects back to not only the pituitary gland, which would decrease the, the release of TSH, yeah. but also going back to the hypothalamus itself, which would decrease, I think more so T3, back to the yes, hypothalamus. Right. Pretty much only would, T3. Which would decrease the release of TRH, which yeah. then would 
decrease down, the rest downstream of it. decrease the TSH. Yeah, that's right. And so TSH itself has a trophic or growth effect on the thyroid. Yeah. And so if you had patients which had either a hyper or a hypo um, thyroid, thyroid, thyroid state, yeah. such as hypothyroidism, such as a, the most common one is Graves' disease. Yes. Or a hypothyroidism, most common is Hashimoto's. Yes. You would then want them, just to make sure, because you'd have either high... This is in the Western Western countries, I, high, I think we need to High T3, it. high T4 with, say, Graves, or low T3, T4 with Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that it's actually driven by the thyroid itself. So you'd also take blood levels and see what the TSH is doing. That's right. That's and right. we'll go to Graves' disease. Graves' disease is actually, somehow, you've got an auto-stimulation of the receptors in your thyroid gland that mimics TSH. So it's not actually TSH has been released at high amounts. It's just there's things in your immune system that's kind of mimicking TSH, yeah. which causes your thyroid to go a bit over, over so, top. Yeah, so, so it's interesting because if you look at, you know, like you said, the most common form of hyperthyroidism, which, like you said, is Graves, and the most common form of hypothyroidism, which the most common form is Hashimoto's, this is in Western countries, we yeah. need to add, they're both autoimmune disorders, right? But in Graves' disease, the antibodies that your body makes are against the thyroid-stimulating hormone receptors at the thyroid. And instead of telling them not to work, they tell them to work. And so it's actually, like you said, mimicking the thyroid-stimulating hormone that's coming from the anterior pituitary gland, telling the thyroid Mm. to make more hormone. And so that's why you get this hyperthyroidism. Which is entrophic, growth-like. And so as a result, the person will get an enlarged thyroid gland. But as a the downstream effect is you get all these increased amounts of um, T4 and T3 and so forth. And the other metabolic effects, increased sweating. And the, but your TSH levels would be normal or low. Yeah, so, probably low, to be honest, because yeah. you'd have the negative feedback coming from the increased T, uh, T3, T4. So the, the, the kind of clinical features... Of Graves? Yeah, of, or let's just say hyperthyroidism. Sure. Is you get, they're going to be highly alert, nervous-like, they're going to be possibly irritable um, because your cardiovascular is going to have palpitations that we spoke about. Um, they're going to be heat intolerant because they are their internal fires going nuts. Yeah. Um, cool. The internal fires going nuts. How's that for a nice medical explanation? They are their GIT is working a bit too fast, so they're going to have. Um, Diarrhea, I guess. Is it diarrhea or is it just excessive bowel movements? Hyperdefecation. Yeah, excessive bowel movements. Um, then they get that periorbital uh, edema, so it's kind of bags under the eyes, but also the eyes will pop out. Yeah, due to fat redistribution. Yeah, and then in terms of their lab findings, so you take their bloods, generally the TSH levels will be lower, Yeah, as we spoke about. Yeah, And then... With the cholesterols, that would be decreased, so that's possibly a blood serum, yeah, a positive if there's any positive out of it, and then the T3, T4, or the free T3 might be elevated. Okay, so that's in Graves hyperthyroidism. Mm. What about hypo Hashimoto? So again, autoimmune, but what's happening in this case? So the autoimmune disease, what what, what are the antibodies attacking? I think in this case, it just attacks the TSH receptors, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's. 
basically yeah, stopping that from happening, stopping um, the stimulation of or thyroid. Or at least the thyroid gland. Um, and so I think in both cases, the amount of colloid is decreased. So even in graves, you would think that they have more colloid, but the colloid relative to the cells is decreased. So yeah. they just have heaps more cells, yeah. more amount of colloid. It's only the iodine-mediated hypothyroidism that results in increased colloid. As far and, as I'm aware. And also, because, as Michael said, it's generally an immune-driven... Both of them are immune-driven process. Mm. In the thyroid, you also get more lymphocytes infiltrated into it. Yeah, so that, that's a good point. You'll see a lot more of the, um, the cell-mediated immune systems cells coming in and kind of infiltrating into that area. Yeah. Um, unlike... With Hashimoto's, unlike... In graves, you'd actually get... Well, initially, I think you get enlarged thyroid, but then it decreases in size. Okay. Um, but also, with, with hypothyroidism, which is interesting, you can actually get hypothyroidism from a treatment of hyperthyroidism. Because a treatment of hyper is, I think, radioactive um, iodine, which yeah. is then taken up into the thyroid gland and kind of kills off... Um, Destroys. But then, as a result, you can then develop hypothyroidism. It's not cool. So, I think that's really the thyroid. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's it's just uh, complex, man. It's really complex in so, regards to the clinical manifestations. So, I think for the last couple of like minutes... Three minutes. Let's talk about the... Uh, what about calcitonin? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to go into. Is okay. So, I said that there were follicular cells, right? And the follicular cells made T3, T4. But there's cells that sort of surround these follicular cells called parafollicular cells, right? Which mean near to follicular cells. And you told us at the beginning when you were doing your boring discussion on embryology, that you said the parafollicular cells came from a different origin to the follicular cells, right? Yeah, so they, from my, remembering back to it, I think three, four, five, maybe the fifth pouch will give you um, the parafollicular cells, which is the uncobranchial body. I think that's what it is in the vertebrates. Kids used to call you the unco. Unco. Unco, uh, unco body, didn't they? So, no, the fourth. The fourth pouch. Yeah. There's a group of cells that kind of, as the thyroid's going past it, kind of jumps into it. Okay. And they become the parafollicular cells. And the hormone they create is what? Calcitonin. Okay. So and that's all about bringing calcium levels in your blood down. So, calcitonin, right, acts on the surface receptors of osteoclasts. Osteo means bone, clast means to break down. So, acts on these osteoclasts to inhibit calcium absorption and to lower serum calcium levels. So, basically, it's to reduce blood calcium levels and promote the movement of blood calcium levels of that calcium into the bone. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right. So if, because if your blood calcium goes too high, calcitonin's released, moves the calcium from the blood into the bone. Because that's our major storage unit. Right. So if you think about calcium itself, it is, well, it can um, saturate, I'm not sure how easily, but it can become like a salt and deposit. And you don't want that to be happening in your blood. No. Because you, you don't want stones forming in your blood. No, no. It, would, it would predominantly form in the kidneys. Yeah, right. So, right. so high levels of calcium or problems with calcium metabolism can cause a propensity towards um, creating stones in your kidneys. Cholelithiasis. 
Um, but also, calcium can form in, in plaques and so forth. And yes. That can be a common... Nucleation point. Histological finding in atherosclerosis, which is much more chronic than just fat. You get these calcium deposits, which make it a, a difficult mm. plaque to get rid of. Yes. But I guess with calcium, which is an important thing for regulating muscle contraction, which I guess is the primary function of why we want to have calcium, right? Well, uh, muscle contraction. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. No? No, because calcium is used by every cell for every major, for every, nearly every important yeah, function. Prob- probably right. Neurons require it. Muscles yeah. require it. I mean, calcium is... So, know. I guess you could say that calcium is vitally important for a lot of cellular functions, yep. like um, nerve action potentials, like mm-hmm. muscle contractions. Cell signaling. Cell signaling. Yeah. But... You can't, unlike, say, glucose, you just can't keep it in your blood at high levels for long periods of time. No. Because it's likely to cause a stone to form. Yes. Okay? So, um, we need to have kind of three main organs that help regulate your calcium levels. And that's your intestines, Mm -hmm. that's your kidneys, Mm -hmm. and that's your bone. Makes sense. Now, in your bone... The saturation point for calcium to be go into like a salt or crystals is much easier than blood. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I would. This is my again guess, but I think bones have become a secondary function, being a storage unit for calcium. Oh, it, it is one yeah. of the primary functions. So apart from obviously providing a framework for the but body, I think. I think that, Actually, I should say that to me becomes a secondary function. The primary function of bone is probably a storage unit for calcium. Yes. And then subsequently from that, we've got a, a, an effect of protection and movement. And so I agree. Um, because in other animals, going back down to lower ones like fish, it stores its calcium in scales. Yep. Okay. And then we go into bones because we go into land. So we need to add other things. Anyway, um, so the primary primary organs for calcium homeostasis is intestines, kidney, and bone. And so you want to keep your calcium levels in your bone, and sorry, in your blood, at a certain level. And to do this, there's two main hormones. You've already spoken about calcitonin, which yes. is the parafollicular cells. Yes, which tends to, just to reiterate, lower blood calcium and promote the movement of calcium from the blood to the bone. Mm. Yeah. The other one is the parathyroid, which you said right at the start, are yep. the kind of four clusters of glands four to eight that's located behind the thyroid and they've come out of two pouches surprisingly the inferior parathyroids come from the third and the third pouch and the superior parathyroids come from the fourth the reason why the inferior comes higher is because it jumps on board with the thymus on its way down and then jumps back i don't know if anyone thymus goes above (laughs) above your heart okay which is very important for making your t-cells Okay. Okay. So, you got your parathyroid and that's making parathyroid hormone. Yeah. yeah. And parathyroid thyroid hormone is about bumping your calcium levels up. In the blood. In the blood. Yeah. So, the opposite of calcitonin. Right. So, so now think about it. So, picture it on that teeter-totterer. The teeter-totterer or the, the more commonly seesaw. Um, <laughs> With calcitonin if your, on one side. If your blood levels or calcium is dropping, which means that you're going to become... Um, dysfunctional in your nervous system and your muscles, so your muscles become weak and they start twittering, or twitching, uh, twitching, <laughs> <laughs> or your twittering. You just saw that I was on Twitter right now. 
or your actually you buy science, or your nervous system <laughs> might become slightly dysfunctional. Um, yeah. Your parathyroid yeah. will release parathyroid hormone yeah. and act on those three organ systems. Yeah. So acts on the intestines, mm-hmm. acts on the kidney, yeah. acts on the bone. Okay, so acts on the intestines by increasing the absorption of calcium into the blood. Very good. Acts on the kidneys by increasing the reabsorption or, de- or decreasing the secretion of of calcium yeah. from the filtrate back into the blood. Right. And increases the osteoclast activity, which osteo means bone, clast means to break down yeah. cells that break down and pull the organic inorganic, mm. I should say, substances from the bone, such as calcium, from the bone, throws it into the blood. Yeah. So that's the three activities of parathyroid, and then calcium does the opposite. Interestingly, though, as far as I'm aware, in normal human physiology, calcitonin doesn't actually appear to have a really significant role. So patients that have like clinical calcitonin excess-like syndromes, such as like carcinomas of the thyroid, um, don't really have alterations in perif- peripheral calcium metabolism. Okay. Just as an interesting point. Okay. Obviously, there's a role there, but I don't know to what degree. So, I think that's really it. So, it's really just about playing with the saturation point in the b- bone. So, with calcitonin, it would change to, to pull more calcium from the blood into the bone. Or with PTH or parathyroid hormone, it's to change the decrease the saturation point to make more calcium go out of the bone into the blood. Right. And so, so and a- again, animals will play around with this. So, think about birds. They need to lay uh, eggs. So, they need lots of calcium for the eggs. Yes. Um, animals need to grow horns like my goats. Yeah. So, they need more <laughs> calcium <laughs> or muscle contractions. Okay. Just to name a couple. Or, and then fish, mm. scales. Scales. Which apparently... What about our teeth? Teeth come from scales. Really? Yours do. Um... What's the word? Not embryologic, not evolutionary. What's uh, uh, I forget the word. It starts with P. Phylogenically. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I say sharks. They just keep rotating their sheep. Teeth. <laughs> the Teeth. the <laughs> sheep. Why did you say sheep? I don't know. They ca- they keep rotating their teeth. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like they're shedding. That probably sh- shedding their teeth. Like skin. Or scales. All right, I think that's really it. Michael's now in a... Rotating the sheep. All right, all right, okay, okay. Take home message. When you are at your dinner table talking to your family or friends or animals and you see the iodized salt sitting on the table, you can bring up the point that, hey, do you know why we have this iodized salt on the table? It's to stop you from having a goiter. All right. And what happens if there is... Himalayan rock salt. And if there's Himalayan rock salt, you can tell them that you don't want your loved ones to become radioactive. Don't. So does that mean people in Himal- the Himalayas are more radioactive? I don't know. It's just one of those health fads. It's salt. Salt is sodium chloride. Why do you need all of these other particulates associated with it? You don't need all this other stuff. You don't. It's not healthier to have... What is it? Uh... Plutonium as part of your as part of your salt regime. Look, albeit the levels are minuscule and probably won't have any effect, but I don't know. I would probably want to minimise as much radioactivity in my diet as possible. Mm. It's up to you what you do. Whatever. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the thyroid and parathyroid. Yeah, it went a lot longer than I thought because Matt wouldn't shut up. So I apologise for Matt, everyone. 
But yeah, you can reach I can't, Matt. I can't, I can't help it. But you can reach if you if you want to ask Matt questions. I don't know why you would about embryology, embryological development, and anatomy. You can contact him on Twitter, Doctor Bartox. Is that right? At Doctor Bartox, D R B A R T O X. Yes, that's right. And you right. can contact me on Twitter personally at Mikey Todd. At M I C K E Y T O D. Can't spell your name. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, Michael Todorovic is too long. All right, guys. So you have a a good week, everyone, and we'll talk to you. And if you see any um, sharks shedding sheep, (laughs) (laughs) rotating their sheep, you moron. All right. See you guys. See ya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.